send decks, send folders to assets, have a media kit or like a like a press kit on your website. I'm really excited about Expo West. I try to go down every single aisle. Welcome to the Startup CPG podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. Today we get to chat with one of the most incredible champions for emerging CPG brands, Monica Watrous, managing editor of Food Business News and Food Entrepreneur. Food Business News is a trade publication covering all aspects of the food and beverage industry from field to fork, and Food Entrepreneur, a sub-brand, focuses on the innovations, trends, and personalities in the food and beverage startup ecosystem. You've heard Monica on the show a few times during Expo West and East recaps, but this time I asked Monica if she'd come on the show to share more behind the scenes about what her career looks like and how best to work with members of the press. Listen in as Monica shares about how trends and news become publications either digitally or in print, what an editorial calendar is and how some types of content are planned in advance, how Monica stays up to date on the latest brands and trends, best practices for reaching out to the press and what to avoid, why your brand should release press releases and how other publications use them, Monica's strategy for tackling a trade show like Expo West, and more. Plus, mid-ish episode, Monica and I share our reviews of G's Dry Hard Ginger Beer, which won a Shelfie Award last year. Make sure to check out our bonus episode featuring founder Donna to learn more. And speaking of Shelfie Awards, let's talk about how you, dear listener, could be a Shelfie Award winner this year. This will be the third annual Shelfie Awards, and due to popular demand, we're accepting samples by category. First up is health and beauty brands. So if you are listening to this in March 2023 and you are a health and beauty brand, here's what you need to do. Head to the link in the show notes and complete the application form. It takes less than 10 minutes and it's free. Ship samples to the two locations indicated and have them arrive before March 31st. And that's it. And if you're listening to this after March, I'll link to more info about the shelfies in general in the show notes. Sample shipments for other categories will be open in April, May, and June. So stay tuned in the Slack as well. Now let's hear from Monica. Hi, Monica. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Of course, I have been excited all week to record an episode with you, and we've had you on the show as part of an expo debrief before, but today I wanted to do an episode uh, just about your work and learn a little bit about what it's like working with the press and, you know, how our brands can, you know, best engage with someone like yourself. So I'm so glad that you are here today to talk with us. And just I'm so grateful for all the ways that you support our community and emerging brands in general. Well, thank you. That's really nice. Well, can you start us off by just telling us a little bit about yourself and then about food business news and food entrepreneur? Absolutely. So uh, my background is journalism. Um, I'm from Kansas City. I went to school at the University of Missouri. And I found myself at Sazen Publishing Company, which is based in here in Kansas City. Um, They've been around for 101 years now. This is our 101st year in business. And, um, you know, always reporting on um, food and agriculture. They have a a storied history of um, like in the milling and grain trade. And uh, so I work for the food for food business news, um, which kind of covers the whole industry um, of food processing. I've been there for 10 years now and about three years ago, I guess, a little bit before 2020, we 
noticed that a lot of there was a lot of um, interesting emerging brands popping up and stealing market share from the big players, um, disrupting categories that hadn't seen a lot of innovation in a while and um, being heavily funded um, as well as having lower barriers to entry when it comes to coming to market with D2C being available. And so between that and um, just watching how Expo West has exploded um, with just the number of people who are paying attention to innovation in this space, we saw an opportunity to launch Food Entrepreneur as a sub-brand of Food Business News. And so it started as a print supplement that ran six times a year. And um, when the first couple years, we noticed that this is more of a digital brand. So we've kind of backed off from print a little bit. We doubled down in digital. So we do two webinars a year called the Food Entrepreneur Experience, where we hear from early stage brand founders and experts talking about trends and um, opportunities in the marketplace. And um, then we have a digital newsletter that goes out every week. Awesome. That's great. And I love the food entrepreneur experience when those happen. I've joined the last couple and they're so great. They're so informative. I always learn so much. And just in general, from your reporting and from food business news and food entrepreneur, I've learned so much. And they're kind of my go-to for like, what's happening? You know, who's getting acquired, who's raising funds, what are the trends, what's happening, or even like when I was sourcing ingredients or whatever of looking like what's happening in the markets, like, you know, what's happening in just the whole food world. So that's, that's so cool. Well, it's fun. It's amazing. Like I, I didn't know anything about the food business or CPG. I didn't know what CPG meant 10 years ago when I joined the company. And I found myself just falling in love with this industry and all of the passion and energy, especially at the early stage brand level. Um, you know, it's just such a special and collaborative community. And, um, and for me, it's just been really, you know, just fascinating and, and a passion of mine to meet entrepreneurs, interview them, write about their businesses. And, um, you know, I feel like I really have an opportunity to give them early exposure that could potentially move the needle in their business getting started. Yeah, absolutely. And can you talk a little bit about since I'm, you know, I'm curious about just how how this all works and like like for you being over 10 years, like what does it look like to kind of progress? Like what, you know, what did you do when you started? What does your job look like more now? Like how does the, you know, are you writing, you know, more or less, or like, what does it look like to kind of progress within your career field to kind of help us get a sense of that? Sure. And I don't know if it's, if it's kind of the same at different publications and in sort of the trade publishing world, but for me, I started as a digital media editor. So I wrote, um, stories for the website. I sent out newsletters. Um, I might've managed a little bit of social media in the early days. Um, but then I progressed, um, in more senior roles. I'm the managing editor of Food Business News. So what that means is I work with the designer to determine what goes on each page of the magazine, what the best headline and, and images are for the magazine itself. We have a, a bi-weekly magazine um, that, that goes out. And then um, I still do a fair amount of writing um, and then, you know, um, producing webinars, hosting events, just really kind of doing a lot of different things, wearing a lot of different hats. And um, it's just really gratifying. I mean, it, it's definitely not a boring job. Yeah. Interesting. So you kind of maybe start out helping do some editing, 
doing some content. And then now in your role, you're still getting to write and edit content, but you're also kind of crafting what ultimately gets shown out in the world, like what you think is newsworthy and noteworthy and kind of help shape how it all comes together across. I'm guessing there's multiple writers that are all working together. Yeah, we have a a team of about, uh, well, we share a staff with our sister publication, Milling and Baking News. So there's about 10 of us um, between the two magazines that, you know, are all contributing to both publications. And um, so it's actually kind of a lean staff if you think about the kind of, you know, as much content as we we produce. Yeah. Um, and the other part of my job that I didn't discuss is that I, I attend trade shows. And mm-hmm. um, so that's kind of one of my favorite parts of the job. Um, definitely was doing a lot more before the pandemic, now starting to ease back into it. But um, a big part of my job there is to um, track trends and patterns that I see and write about, you know, what are some of the more interesting themes, you know, in product development that, that, are on display at, at trade shows, meeting brand founders, profiling them, and um, and then also writing about the latest new product launches. Yeah, interesting. And you mentioned that print maybe isn't as big anymore, but I'm curious just from like, what is the process that goes into like if an article is going to go to print or if it's going to be on the website, or if it's going to be in the digital magazine, like, can you walk us through like some of those processes, like what all goes into there? Because I think there's this maybe misconception or like when, you know, when you're just consuming content online, you're like, oh, like somebody just pressed post like a blog post or something like that. And there's like, especially if it's going to go to print or there's design involved, like there's a lot that can a lot of lead times and time it can take to get set up. So I'm curious, like how all of those actually end up published, you know, through through a platform like Food Business News? Yeah. So we do draw from a lot of our online content to fill out the print magazine. Um, we do have features that are signed, you know, a year out there. You know, we have an editorial calendar that comes out uh, ahead of the year. So our sales team can sell advertising around various topics on our editorial calendar. And so the editors who write those features, which usually center on ingredient trends and applications, they are working on those, you know, probably about a month ahead of when it goes to print. Um, As far as the news section goes, that's a little bit more timely. So, um, you know, we usually a production week looks like, um, so the magazine comes out on a Tuesday. So the week before I'm putting together the stories that we've run on the web or, um, you know, the features that our editors are working on, you know, and and Thursday is kind of the day that all of those pages need to be laid out. And then Friday, we review everything and then send it to the printer. So um, if there's a news story that breaks on a Friday, it's not going to be in that magazine. Um, So that's the limitation with print um, is that because you know, and I think that's that's also just being reflected in readership patterns. I think people realize that they're not going to get the latest news in a magazine. And I think that's why having compelling features that are, you know, bringing a lot of value to the reader um, is an important part of our print strategy. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So you've got you've got people writing, editing, designing, and it's having to kind of work through all those those workflows. But with the news, you're all doing with a small team, you're doing that all very quickly to get, you know, to get the the latest out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's that's wild. And you talked you mentioned the editorial calendar. Can you t- expand a little bit more on like the editorial calendar? Well, you know, like you said a little bit more about how far in advance you get that, how you use that in your work? Like how often are you referring to that? Are you, you know, tracking, 
you know, are you going to a trade show sometimes knowing, oh, I have this editorial content, you know, calendar thing coming up in a little bit. This is going to be a great like how does the editorial calendar kind of inform and and, you know, help you plan? Absolutely. And what you described is exactly how our editors approach trade shows or meetings that they have on their, you know, like I'm working on a a feature about sugar reduction for the May issue. So if I have this opportunity to meet with a supplier of, um, of sugar or sweetener systems, then, you know, I can work on that for, for this feature. Um, so yeah, I mean, really any events or meetings that our editors are attending, um, they use that editorial calendar to kind of de- determine, you know, who they want to talk to at a trade show, for example. Um, I, the editorial calendar comes out like months before the year starts. And usually those topics are set based on where there's the most interest from the previous year from advertisers. Um, so some of the topics that seem to do really well year after year are things like um, clean label, uh, organic ingredients, um, you know, sugar reduction, like I said, gluten-free um, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the editorial calendar on my wall here. You know, we'll, we will have features that are around events, you know, like Expo West post coverage. Um, but we'll also have things like sustainability, for example, which could go in a number of different directions, depending on what the, um, the editor who's writing that feature sees and, you know, decides to report on. Yeah. But they're pretty broad, I guess is what I'm trying to say is like the topics tend to be kind of broad and then we can drill down into what is the hottest sweetener, you know, sugar reduction sweetener system right now and write about that versus we're going to do a feature on stevia. Um, you know, we don't like get too specific with the editorial calendar, but gives us enough direction to be able to to figure out, um, you know, to help our our sales team work with advertisers to support those those features. Yeah. Is it often that when I've worked at a brand, you like you send off your your product to, you know, to someone because they're doing a feature and then you know, you don't hear back for months. And then pretty soon, you know, a couple months later, like, oh, we're doing a, you know, we decided to do a a spot on this. And, you know, they remember you. And is that something that's fairly common of like, you know, some you might get a a sample, uh, you know, or you might be exposed to a brand one week, and then you might not have an opportunity for a little bit, you know, the timing might not be right to feature them, but then you feature them again. Like, does that kind of playing with the timing hap? Is that common? 100%. Yeah. And and I think I mean, you know, for me, I have a little bit of a different um, stand, you know, I don't write the features for our magazine. um, So I don't really work in I don't I'm not limited by an editorial calendar or, you know, Mm -hmm. restricted in the sense that if I see something that I really want to write about now, I I have that opportunity. So with the web, there's a lot more um, flexibility, a lot more um, opportunities to, to turn something around quickly as it pertains to I mean, you know, especially covering the the entrepreneurial space, there's a lot, you know, it's moving quickly, a lot of new brands popping up a lot of new product launches coming um, down the pike. So um, having the opportunity to write about those things more quickly for the web, but then possibly revisiting some of those brands or topics for print as the editorial calendar dictates. Yeah. How do you wade through it all? Like, how do you wade through all the, you know, the new brands that you're learning about, the information on the internet? And like, I'm sure, it, you know, you draw from your experience you've developed over years, but kind of curious, like, what does it look like for you to be like, all right, I'm, you know, I'm going to see what's going on today. Like, wh- what are you checking? What does that look like to stay up to date? And how do you not just, you know, get like information overload? 
Oh, I definitely have information. Overload. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I wish I were, you know, I wish I had like a brilliant organizational system for all of this. I mean, because there is a lot um, between social media and seeing like a cool brand on Instagram, like, oh, I want to write about them. LinkedIn has become a super resource for, you know, discovering not just new brands, but also hearing what pain points operators and, and um, you know, founders are dealing with. So I've been hearing a lot lately about um, some headaches with national distributors, um, for example. So that's something that I kind of, you know, am putting in my, on the, you know, just making a mental note to, to keep an eye on that. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn has been super valuable in that way. Um, so it's like the startup CPG Slack channel, honestly, like, I mean, just seeing how, you know, see what people are talking about. So mm-hmm. that helps me understand what kind of, what kind of topics are relevant to emerging brands. And then just the brands themselves. I mean, you know, I get a lot of inbound uh, emails from either brands or publicists. And so, um, you know, I file those away as well. And uh, just try to try to stay on top of things as, as best I can. Um, it's really hard. And I wish I could do more. <laughs> but I just don't have as much time as I would like to to write about all the brands that I want to. Mm-hmm. And speaking of kind of that, like, you know, the inbound, uh, you know, outreach that you get, um, p- you know, people reaching out to you, like, I'm curious if there's anything that like, you wish people knew about like your process or about, you know, just how everything works when they reach out to you and want to connect with you? Like, you know, is there anything you're just like, oh, like this person's reaching out and they clearly don't know about X, Y, Z. And even though it's not their fields, you know, that'd probably really inform how they how they do this outreach or, you know, or how they think about, you know, engaging with with a a press opportunity. Sure. So a lot of uh, I hear from a lot of founders directly um, just because a lot of early stage brands simply can't afford a, a publicist. Um, so I welcome those those inquiries. You know, I want people to feel like they can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me and say, hey, we've got a new product coming out or this is, you know, here's my cool brand that I'm launching um, or hey, we just got into Target. And not every story is going, or not every bit of news is going to make it into a story. Like, for example, we may not write about your Target launch, but I might keep watching the brand to see, okay, well, when there are enough developments, maybe we can do some sort of, you know, long, like bigger piece on what's going on with that brand or maybe the category that the brand participates in. Um, So I think, you know, if if a brand wants to reach out, and I can't, I'm not speaking for other journalists in this space, like, I know people approach this differently. And I I really don't even know how how others, my colleagues approach this. But um, for me, you know, as as I want to help out small brands and and provide some of that early press for them, um, I definitely am open to hearing from them. With the caveat that I may not guarantee coverage, um, just depending on my schedule or, oh, we just wrote about a kombucha brand, you know, so I need some time before I write about another kombucha brand or, or, you know, I mean, there, there, you know, every case, every it's, it's different, you know, with, with each brand or, or each story idea. But, um, I do try, you know, I do pay attention. I do read emails and, and LinkedIn notes and, um, and do try to make it work. I don't know if I answered your question or not. Yeah, no, that's super helpful. Cause I think even, you know, sometimes if you're just like trying to quickly inform people about things you're, or you've really got your heart set on like, Oh, I 
I hope someone features us about XYZ and you don't get featured, it can feel like a big bummer. But the like, but also the the re- the reality is, is that there's value in just that outreach at all. Like it's relationship building. It's helping you track like, hey, this brand has traction. It's it's not a no forever. It's just a not today um, sort of thing. So I think that's super helpful. Just insight into kind of the long term strategy. Yeah, 100 percent. And like, for example, I wrote a story about a brand founder that ran in January. Um, I interviewed the person in November who had reached out to me a year before, you know, made initial contact then. And it took me that long to turn it around. And, you know, there wasn't really, you know, any specific reason why there was a delay. It just, that's how it happened. And, um, you know, the timing worked out, I think for, for the, the timing, you know, the publishing of that story, but I just so appreciated that the patience of the founder and um, the understanding that um, there's just uh, this is such a dynamic space and there's so so many brands and and products to cover and um, I know I know a lot of operators in the space are kind of forced to be patient because you know you have to wait for shelf resets and investors to return your call and you know retail buyers to return your call and you know I mean there's all kinds of things that founders are waiting for. And I don't want to necessarily be contributing to that, you know, those delays. But, um, but I mean, I think that because they are accustomed to having to wait, you know, I mean, that, that a patience is really appreciated, I'll say. Yeah, well, and that's, that's why I also, you know, wanted to have this conversation of just like it, I feel like it helps all of us have more patience when we understand a little bit of the behind the scenes of just what it takes to publish something or what it takes to ship product from A to B, when you learn all the steps, you're like, oh, that's why it takes that truck that long to get from here to there. Um, Not that there aren't, you know, um, terrible delays sometimes, but sometimes when you learn the behind the scenes, it's like, oh, it just kind of helps you make sense of, you know, what what you're trying to navigate. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that it's possible that some people who reach out think that they're the only person who reached out to me and they, they don't understand why I haven't responded. And then, you know, it's reflected in their follow-ups. And it's really nothing personal. I just, it's just hard for me to, you know, keep up with all of it sometimes. So yeah. On that note, is there anything that you like when people reach out, is there anything that's kind of like your favorite earlier? Like, oh, I love when people start their emails this way or format it this way or and then anything on the flip side too. you're just like what you just mentioned of like, I don't, I don't love what's going on. Like, that's not my favorite way to get a pitch or like, you know, any, any kind of, any of those things that stand out to you? Absolutely. So I, one of the things that I think usually helps is sending um, product images, you know, just so I can see what the product looks like. That'll catch my attention. Um, You know, not writing 5,000 words about the backstory of your brand, you know, so, so concise emails, um, or LinkedIn messages are really helpful. Um, you know, even like bulleted things like, you know, here's what we've been up to lately. I, I, I assume this is actually also how people reach their, you know, when they um, connect with like investors or people they have existing relationships with. They're like, hey, here's what I've been up to. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, send the updates, you know, like got into 50 target doors and, um, you know, increased our production capacity or whatever, you know. Um, so I think like that is helpful. I think think, you know, I mean, I'm really impressed whenever a founder does their homework and says like, hey, I really liked this story that you wrote. And I thought I should reach out, you know, like that's like, oh, you're paying attention. On the flip side, if you pitch me your skincare brand and don't understand that the publication is food business news, and we don't write about skincare, 
I mean, not only am I not going to write about the product, but it's also just kind of like, well, you're wasting your own time if you don't research the publication, the outlet that you're pursuing or, you know, reaching out to. Um, And I would say, you know, again, the patience thing, it, it doesn't hurt to follow up, but don't maybe follow up like, you know, I mean, I guess just be sensible about how you follow up. Like don't, you know, follow up like twice in one week or, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, like some people just, it's like when you like are waiting to hear from somebody on a text and they just send you like question marks or like the dot, dot, dots. Like I'll get some of those sometimes. And I'm like, you really think that that's how you're going to get me to respond to you? (laughs) Like, I don't know. So I think just having like compassion and patience and um, also respecting, um, you know, my time by, by giving me all of the, you know, like concise information, um, and yeah, I think that's, that's usually what's the most effective way that I, you know, what I tend to um, pay more attention to. Yeah, that makes sense. Is it helpful when people provide like links or, you know, links to more information kind of like if you want, you know, keep your email concise, but is it nice to have a way if you're like, oh, this is really interesting. I can dig in like to make it easier to like dig in there. Yes. Send decks, you know, um, send uh, folders to assets send, um, you know, any kind of, of collateral. Um, I think, you know, yeah, you, you, that's really helpful. Um, have a media kit or like a, like a press kit on your website. I know that's a lot of work, but that could go a long way. Um, and also like I've worked with several founders, um, who just write their own press releases and that's super helpful. Like you're more likely to get a really quick turnaround from me If you provide a press release, we don't run press releases as is, but we will draw from them and paraphrase and use quotes from press releases and in stories. And so it's super helpful to to provide something like that or even, you know, your own emailed quotes like, you know, if you even do like a a self Q&A, you know, where you you provide information that's quotable that we can then turn into a story. Like, so, um, yeah, I guess having traditional press materials available, you know, in, in however way you can provide them is super helpful. Yeah, that's really interesting. I was just going to ask, like, what what are some of the other things you can prep? So it sounds like having some some quotables ready to go, having, you know, your media kit with your logos, some high quality images, those things all super helpful. Is there anything else that like if you're going to do an interview with a founder or um, or if you're pulling from their information that that is super helpful prep um, or that you just yeah, that you find helpful in the process of like going back and forth, like maybe you have a follow up question on a story or are you looking for like, you know, quick confirmation from, you know, a founder so you can get the story out, like kind of what's it look like to get the article to the finish line? Is there anything that, you know, the person you're interviewing can do to help you in that process? I mean, yeah, it's it's nice to be able to to get a, a quick reply if I have a follow up question. But I know that founders are wearing many hats, doing many things on the production floor, running to a sales call, you know, there's a lot going on. So I also understand if I don't hear back right away on something. Um, and I will say, I mean, just so you know, plug for, for working with a publicist, like, you know, that's where a publicist can be really helpful. If, if you want to outsource that kind of communication, you know, like I don't have time to send lifestyle photos to this journalist, you know, um, I don't have time to cold email all of these journalists or trade publications or news outlets. Um, you know, I think a PR firm can be really valuable, but again, a lot of, it's not in the budget for a lot of early stage brands. So I think being scrappy and kind of figuring out how to communicate with the press is, uh, you know, is also important. Yeah. 
on on the topic of press releases, because this is something that like, I, I don't know, I just wasn't familiar with press releases. And then I was like, wait, you can just write your own press release. Like you can just go on the Internet and make a press release and hit publish. And like, yeah, there's, you you know, if you're going through like a scission or something like it, there's like a 24 hour review or something. And they make sure you're not saying you raised a bazillion dollars when you didn't like, you know, there's maybe some verifications, but still I was just like, this is mind blowing. And also just like such credibility is added when you send a press release to members of the press or an investor. And it was literally just something that you typed up and then put into a website. Like (laughs) that was just like, kind of mind-blowing to me do you do you think that that's an underutilized you know strategy to put press releases out in the world or do you think there's too too many or i'm curious about your thoughts on like brands doing press releases i think it's a great idea um i don't think there are too many press releases in the world i think it's yeah like you said it, give, it gives credibility to the brand um i will say as far as um the way food business news editors uh source our news is we look at the wires. So there's several um, CPG news wires that we look at and we grab press releases from there. Um, and that's usually the the start of a lot of stories um, for us. You know, we'll see something then we can dig deeper and do more reporting. Um, so I think it's a really great idea to, to do that. Um, I think, you know, in terms of putting together press releases, some some reasons for that, you know, what would be a good reason to put out a press release? New product launch, um, definitely, uh, distribution news. Um, you know, we may not always report on it, but it's good to put out there. One of the things that we almost always report on are, um, funding rounds. So if a brand raises a series A, we want to be able to share that news with our readers. Um, so that's another, another reason to put out a press release. And, um, yeah, I mean, I guess like also participation at events, um, I've seen several press or several brands write press releases just to say like, Hey, we're going to be at Expo West, you know, (laughs) doesn't hurt (laughs) to to have, you know, to put that out there. And, um, but, you know, I think it's really important to find a news angle and, and, you know, not just put out a a press release that says, Hey, we exist. Do you recommend putting some like you know, your own quotables in a press release or any other things that you like to see if you are like looking at the wire and you dig into a press release, anything that you find helpful um, to see? Yeah, quotes for sure. And, um, you know, images definitely uh, are really important. And then, I don't know, I mean, I think, you know, certain things like um, if it's a new product, for example, um, some of the high points to include are things like, you know, MSRP and uh, maybe, you know, which retailers are taking it in or which websites you can buy it from. So where you can find the product. Um, and I think it's always helpful to, 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 you know, learn about some of the ingredients or nutritional profile of the product too. So include, you know, maybe some product attributes and details around that. If it's a funding, a fundraising announcement, who are, who led the, the round, who participated in the round, what are you going to do with that capital? How is that going to support your next chapter of growth? And, um, you know, maybe what kind of partnerships, you know, did somebody gain a, a seat on your board? Um, so those are kind of the, the, the high points that we expect from, from that kind of announcement. That's super helpful just to see what, what you find helpful reading something. And then since you just took a, took a sip, uh, I also want to take a little break to talk about G's Dry Hard Ginger Beer. I sent Monica samples and uh, we've had a bonus episode featuring Donna at G's recently. And so I wanted to take a little 
break, uh, you know, share each of our reviews and and thoughts. And uh, yeah, so, you know, Monica, tell us about what you're drinking, what you think. So I am drinking G's Wild One, which is ginger, mint and lime. It's 4.5% alcohol by volume, 116 calories. And it's just super fresh, crisp, um, real ingredients, from, you know, filtered water, alcohol fermented from cane sugar, fresh pressed ginger, which you can really taste. It's, mm-hmm. it's got a really nice ginger flavor and then lime juice and fresh mint. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's super crisp. I happen to love ginger. Um, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but, um, yeah, I mean, this is just a really refreshing and nice and, and kind of crushable drink. Yeah. And that's the wild one is the one that won the Shelfie award last year. And I love the original flavor as well. Like, like you said, I'm a big ginger lover too. And like the ginger is so fresh. Like it's kind of incredible. It's like you just had, you know, like done it at home and gotten out the, you know, uh, zested to some ginger at home or something like it's, it's kind of wild. And just the, that like fermented, the way that it kind of the sugar, like the fermentation uses the sugar, like it's all just like super fascinating. So I definitely encourage everyone to check out the full interview that we did with Donna G's because it's a fascinating process about, you know, creating a dry hard ginger beer like this. But yeah, I mean, I love it. I it's uh, Donna gave me the tip. She was like, it's fun to drink in the can because the cans are pretty, but she was like, pour it also in like a wine glass and like swirl it like it's wine. Mm. And you'll really get like the aromatics um, and that was a great tip. So I've also felt fancy and drank it out of a wine glass. <laughs> okay, good to know. I'll try that for my next one. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you for, for trying that with me. It's fun to have a little, uh, ha- have a little shelfie award winner break. Yeah. Well, thanks for sending it to me. I, I, like I said, I, I love ginger. I love canned cocktails. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really have been enjoying sort of the, the lower proof drinks trend. Um, so I'm glad to see some really nice, clean, uh, fresh offerings there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I figured this would be kind of a good transition into talk a little bit more about Expo West because you mentioned trade shows being a big part of your job and Expo is coming up. Um, and so I'm curious to know a little bit more of like your strategy for walking the show. Are you like carrying around a notepad? Are you noting things? Do you have a strategy for like walking around, engaging people? Like how do you how do you tackle a show like that? Like from, you know, for from your perspective? Yeah, it's so it's a lot. It's funny because Expo West was my very first trade show back in 2014. And I didn't realize that I was being thrown into the deep end of the pool, that it was like the biggest show in, in our industry. Um, so I used to take appointments, booth meetings uh, with brands, but I found that it's it's kind of hard to coordinate, especially if I'm with somebody in Hall E and then I need to get over to B and zigzag around in the convention center. It's not really ideal. So the way that I approach these shows now is I don't take meetings. If I want to talk to somebody, we'll schedule something either before or after the expo, you know, just virtually. Um, and I try to go down every single aisle. It's a lot, but it's, um, I feel like it's the only way I can really ensure that I see everything. I do take notes on a notepad. I also use my phone to take pictures to help me kind of remember. And then I am so old school. I take cell sheets and business cards. And that's like usually a good sort of memento later on in the day when I'm like, you know, back in my hotel room with everything that I collected just to see like, okay, what, what themes, what trends did I see? 
you know, just kind of a visual reminder of, of what I saw on the floor that day. Also, if, if a brand has a cool sticker, I feel like you're going to be down for that. <laughs> okay. So I know that we're kind of on video a little bit. Um, I don't know if this is going to make it in here, but quick pause to help you in an audio medium. At this moment, Monica is holding up a journal absolutely bedazzled with stickers. A few I spotted were Chubby, Mmly, Dream Pops, Olipop, Forage. And as a fellow sticker enthusiast, I can confirm it's a great collection. This is, yes, this is my <laughs> I love it. sticker. This is like just my my quarterly uh, journal or whatever. But yeah, these are definitely a collection of stickers that I've um, either gotten at shows or, you know, in in orders when I order online. So yeah, I'm swagging stickers. And also I'm wearing my chubby snacks hat, which wasn't free swag. I actually ordered it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's, a, and you know, that's interesting. Um, I feel like I've seen more brands at shows like at Expo with fun merch. And that was a big trend that I saw at, like at Expo West, there were a lot of really cool bags, like either tote bags or Belgian boys had that really awesome French toast, like fanny pack, I think. I didn't get one because they I think they went pretty quickly. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that that it's a good opportunity for a lot of brands with, with kind of bigger marketing budgets to have fun and, and really engage and catch people's attention. Because with so many exhibitors, you kind of got to do a lot to catch attention and stand out. Oh, yeah. I think one of my favorites was when we did an Expo West recap last year, I think you and Jenna talked about the Ourobora One Star Tastes Like Butt um, tote bag. That was that's one of my favorite uh, pieces of swag that I've seen. I think <laughs> same. I love that. Yeah, based on um, a negative review they received on Amazon, and I just thought that was such a brilliant way to you know. I mean, it's definitely eye catching, and it's them kind of you know laughing at themselves and not taking themselves too seriously, which is so akin to the spirit of the brand. So I thought that was just a really, that was a winner for sure. And we were talking about it a year later. So it was obviously very effective. Yeah. And speaking of chubby, since Monica, like Monica mentioned wearing her chubby hat, that was, you know, you you got a shout a few episodes back when we talked to TBH about the chubby collab. And so that was fun because that's, that's how I got my news about that collab was from following you. And then my order went in about 30 seconds later after seeing that. So. <laughs> well, it's funny because I've, I've definitely ordered ordered things based on your posts and your like it's like oat house for example like yep. <laughs> i i love your love of oat house <laughs> It's a, it's a very deep love. I was having the red velvet flavor just earlier today as my like uh, middle of the day snack. And it's so good. So yeah, I love we're influencing each other to we're enabling each other's uh, emerging brand uh, spending habits. <laughs> it's the you know, I think it's the best kind of peer pressure. And we're supporting so. peers. So it's exactly win -win. it's a win win. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Well, and, you know, also for Expo, what trends are you thinking about? You know, it's a few weeks out, so I'm I'm sure you'll gain more information between now and then. But what are you starting to think about of being like, you know, is it like, oh, I need to, I'm definitely going to hit up this category at Expo really hard because I think that that's going to be big or, you know, what are you thinking about going into Expo? That's an interesting question. I feel like I go in with kind of an open mind. Um, I do receive some press releases. I mean, back on the topic of press releases. Um, a lot come out before the show, sort of teasing some new innovation that'll be on display at Expo. And because, you know, really Expo West is one of the biggest opportunities for a brand to showcase new innovation. I feel like you see what's brand new at Expo West. And then later, the shows that take place later in the year, you'll see what was unveiled at Expo West, you know, so it's, it kind of sets the, the tone for um, new products for the year. So 
I go in with a little bit of an idea of what I'm going to see. Um, but then also just kind of, uh, you know, try to clear my mind of preconceived ideas of what, what trends are out there. I know, um, one that surprised me at Expo East that I didn't expect to see so much of was the non-alcoholic beverage trend. Um, that was something that I know people have been talking about for a while, but I didn't know there were so many brands in the space and especially exhibiting at Expo East that are doing some really complex botanical forward substitutes for alcohol spirits. And, um, so that was an interesting trend that I, you know, might have overlooked if I, if I, you know, wasn't, I guess, keeping an open mind to what, what I might see on the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess one other tactical question, because you can obviously if you tried every single sample at Expo, like I don't even know what would happen to a person. We all end up with a little bit of some version of a stomach ache, I think, just from eating little bits of food all day. Not that they aren't great. It's just it's so many different foods for us all to process. Like, do you find it helpful, like, you know, when you're offered a sample because you're there to kind of try everything and track trends is it helpful to be offered something to take home that you can try later like what are your preferences on that because i know also as brands you know everyone's trying to get everybody to taste it because you know that's what you need but you might not be able to taste every booth that you stop by yeah absolutely i think yeah having to go portable samples small samples you know don't like give somebody a multi-serving bag of something um yeah that's absolutely really helpful because not only is it hard to eat everything like there on the show floor, but also, you know, I mean, it just kind of like, I think in this age of kind of this post COVID era, like I, I think a lot of brands backed away from doing some of the the types of sampling that they had done before where things are kind of open air and, um, you know, uh, uh, help yourself, you know, to the scoop of something. And, you know, like, I guess, it, yeah, I think that people have kind of backed off a little bit from some of that, um, the previous sampling techniques. Um, but I'm glad you brought up samples because that was another thing that I meant to to talk about earlier in a conversation about how to to work with press. I do get offered a lot of samples, which is pretty awesome if you like, you know, eating and, and receiving mail, which I do. And I would say that that can be helpful, um, but it's not necessary, you know. So if a brand, you know, is is really trying to get um, the attention of of someone in the media, um, it doesn't hurt to offer a sample, but um, maybe don't expect guaranteed coverage because you sent a sample. Mm -hmm. Um, So because of that, I don't always agree to accept samples that are offered to me because I don't want that to, I don't want to lead anybody on to think that I'm definitely going to write about them. And also I try to order from the brand. If, you know, someone says, Hey, I want to send you some product. I I recognize that these early stage founders don't have a lot of money and I want to support them Especially if I think what they're doing is innovative and it's something that I would probably buy anyway. So um, I sometimes will just say, no, I'm just going to order from you. That's interesting, both from a like at the show samples and then also just you receiving samples generally in the world, like that you don't want brands kind of just having to, you know, put samples out there and not necessarily get coverage, you know, maybe just finding out whether you're interested in receiving samples, maybe you're going to order them on your own, but just kind of sending them off in the void doesn't guarantee a that you're going to even be able to try it. um, And then also that it's going to get covered. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want there to ever be an expectation that, you know, by by shipping me some special overnight ice pack box of something that isn't even available D to C. I feel bad receiving that because I just feel like, oh man, you put a lot of money into this and I, I, 
I'm not going to guarantee coverage, but you know, I mean, things that make a little bit more sense for sending in the mail, like shelf stable, lightweight products. Um, you know, I mean, I think that that can be helpful to provide. Do you ever get like coupons? Like to, if a, if a brand's big enough to be at a retailer near you, is that ever helpful or is that too much extra work? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that would be helpful. Um, I mean, I, you know, I have sprouts and whole foods near me. I'm based in Kansas city. Um, if a product is in either of those stores, um, I'm happy to go do the legwork to, to pick it up. Um, also, I mean, I probably would do that without the coupon, um, if I knew that it was available, but again, I think a lot of, um, a lot of early stage brands don't have that kind of distribution yet. And so Mm -hmm. it's hard to, to, especially with me being Midwestern based, um, you know, I don't have access to a lot of the, the hipper retailers that would take in something early like Erewhon or Foxtrot or Pop-Up Grocer. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Well, this is great. Is there any last, last parting thoughts you wanted to share before we share, you know, a few, few kind of links to end with? Anything else you wanted to add? Um, You know, I'm really excited about Expo West. I think it's just a really great sort of family reunion for the industry. And I think that a lot of early stage founders that don't necessarily have booths also can benefit from just walking the show floor. I know it's a little expensive to do so, but I think that the brands that I've talked to who don't have a booth can gain a lot or even coming to the start of CPG Alley Rally. Yeah. Um, and uh, I know there there are some really great backpack brands that I'm looking forward to seeing there. So um, yeah, there's a lot of value in attending. And I hope to see uh, as many people as I can at the at the event. Awesome. That's great. This has been so helpful. I'm going to include in the show notes the link to your LinkedIn so that people can follow you. Also, you can go to foodbusinessnews.net. And then from there, you can make it to Food Entrepreneur. And then can people follow you on Instagram? You're like what Monica Eats account? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, I would love for people to follow me on Instagram. So, um, I mean, the account's called What's Monica Eating? I think the handle is just my full name at Monica Watchress. Um, yeah, I mean, if, it, if people want to see low production quality amateur <laughs> food porn and lately just me waffling everything in my house with my miniature waffle maker, um, yeah, I welcome I welcome the... Uh, <laughs> amazing your waffling adventures it was it was a topic in a meeting today of just like did you see what monica's been waffling yeah did you see it like so yeah you're you're definitely a celebrity with the waffling it's it's great everyone needs to follow (laughs) that's amazing awesome well this is great thank you so much for all you do for our brands and just for spending time with me to kind of give us a little peek behind the scenes into your career world It, it means a lot and it's really valuable well, thank you. And right back at you. I mean, you do so much for brands too, and and you're just killing it with the podcast. So um, really, really appreciate the opportunity to to share a little bit more and, and to find new ways to connect with this amazing community. Awesome. And can't wait to see you at Expo West as yes. well. Same. Thank you for listening in today. I'm so honored you joined me for this conversation. And I love hearing from you all with feedback, suggestions, or if you just want to say hi at podcast at startupcpg.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. If you liked this episode, we'd love for you to share it with a friend or colleague, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, and maybe even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you aren't yet in our Slack community of founders and experts, we'd love to see you there. You can get the free invite at startupcpg.com and find all our other awesome resources there like webinars, databases, the blog, the magazine, and virtual and in-person events. 
And if you found yourself rocking out to our intro and outro music, which I do every single time, make sure to check out the Super Fantastics on Spotify. It's the band of our startup CPG founder, Daniel Scharf. I'm Jesse Freitag, your host and producer. And on behalf of the whole team at Startup CPG, thank you for being here and see you next week.